Hey, this is Keenan Clark. Thank you so much for taking some time to listen to this episode of my podcast. I am really praying that your time listening helps you to realize just how loved and enjoyed you are by God. If you'd like, you can stay connected with me by following me on all major social media platforms. Now, get ready, because I have to say this episode is so good. I love you. Venue Church today, because I got something special for you. We got this Sunday, we got next Sunday, and then the one following that, guess what? Your boy will be back preaching in the building, starting our brand new series called Kingdom-ish. I can't wait. It's going to be so good. But today, I get the opportunity to sit on the front, do- uh, front row and shout somebody down. And I'm excited to introduce this guy. He's never been to Venue Church before. He's really never really been to Chattanooga before. He passed through one time when he was a kid, but he's gotten to spend a couple of days here. He's already fallen in love with the city. He's fallen in love with this church. He loves you guys. Let me tell you why I asked him to come preach. This was about a year and a half or two years ago. I connected with him through Instagram. He had tens of thousands of followers was going around speaking at all the big youth conferences, doing all of the stuff. And all of a sudden, he disappeared from Instagram. And I thought, where in the world did this guy go? And all of a sudden, this other person with his name but a different handle started trying to follow me and I kept blocking it. Because I thought it was a fake account. And so he called me. He literally called my phone, he said, Pastor, I said, what's up, man? He said, I just wanted to make sure that we're good. I said, what do you mean? He said, I just want to make sure, did I do anything to offend you? I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I keep trying to follow you and you keep blocking me out. (laughs) I said, no, I thought that was a fake account. He said, no, let me tell you the story. He said, I was praying one day and he said, the Lord just said, do you love all these followers more than you love me? And he said, as soon as I got up off my knees, I didn't want to just tell the Lord I didn't. He said, I wanted to show him, so I deleted that whole account. Literally tens of thousands of followers and influence all over the world deleted it and went down to zero. Do you know why? Because his heart was, I don't care what people think of me. I don't care about the fame. I don't care about all of the stuff. I care about my heart being right and in place with God. I'm telling you something. I had never even met him before. This is actually our first weekend meeting each other in person, but I fell in love with his heart two years ago. I've told him, I've told everybody that I talked to, he reminds me of who I was when I was 25 years old. Except he's taller and that makes me mad. (laughs) He's handsome, he loves Jesus. He just got married six months ago. He brought his wife with him. They worked for his dad at a church in Texas, but he just told me this weekend, I'll quit everything and move here Monday if you'll just offer me a job. So we're talking about that. But he's gonna bring the word to you today. I want y'all to show him some venue love. Stand up on your feet. I want you to honor him, cheer, shout. Shout him down when he preaches. Give it up for my brother, Keenan Clark. 
Come on, come on. Can we give it up for Jesus this morning? Come on. Good grief, good grief. Well, man, I'm so glad that your face is in the place. I'm glad my face um, is in the place. And man, I was just down here on the front row, just getting wrecked by the love of God. A God who saw me when nobody else could see me, when I didn't even see me, when I didn't think there was anything worth loving. He gave me his best, and I'm just so thankful for that this morning. I'm so thankful to be a part of this awesome move of God here in Chattanooga, sweeping across the nation, and man, I just want you to know, thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me and and hosting me on this holy ground. I do. I want you to know I consider this holy ground. And uh, I've been looking forward to this moment for a long time. In fact, uh, I've offered many times just to pay to be in your seat because I love this man. I believe in this man. And listen to me, you need to become a ride or die for Pastor Tavner Smith. Come on. People all over the country covet what you have. Don't have it 10% as good as you and are living full in their purpose of God. Man, you got the real deal. You got the whole shebang. Come on, we're not in the old covenant. We're in the new covenant. We're not looking at promises to come. We got the real deal right here. Come on. So consider that your prophetic word. If this is your first Sunday here, make it your first Sunday here for the rest of your life because this is your, this is your family. Come on. And he's going to fix everything I mess up if I mess up at all today. So he'll be, he'll be here in kingdom-ish, and he'll deal with the ish, if there's any ish. You know what I'm saying? Baby, hey, uh, would you uh, say hi to somebody and then grab your seat, because we're going to jump into the Bible today. Come on, say hi. Happy Valentine's Day. You feeling good? You feeling free in the 423? We always say, where I'm from, um, uh, are you feeling alive in the 325? Because that's our area code, feeling alive in the 325. So you're feeling free in the 423. Um, real quickly, Pastor Tavner uh, kind of let the cat out of the bag. I got married six months ago. Come on, come on. Ow! So, uh, yeah, 25 years old. I'll be 26 next month. And uh, God brought me the greatest gift um, besides himself, okay? Um, and that is my wife, Beth. Baby, would you stand up and get, let him get a good luck at you? Do a spin. Come on, do a spin. Come on. So uh, we're going to have fun this afternoon, if you know what I'm saying. And uh, it's going to be a great Valentine's Day. But man, we're just so, so thrilled to be here. Such an honor. And I really pray this morning, my, my heart, my, my prayer this morning is that we wouldn't just come and have a, a nice little Christian kumbaya moment. That we would literally leave completely and utterly transformed. And I, I pray that that's what happens. And I know that that's what happens every time you come to this church. There are some places I've got to say that in faith. I don't really have to say that in faith here. That's some fact right there. That is straight up cold stone fact, okay? But man, I'm just praying really that God would do exceedingly abundantly above all that I could have prepped or prayed for or even asked. So are you guys ready for the word? You guys ready? 
I hear you guys like to preach back at me. So um, hopefully if I preach bad, you just start preaching back at me and we'll have a good time. So if you have a Bible, I'd like you to turn over to the book of Hebrews and we're going to go to chapter 12. We're going to look at one verse and that's verse 15. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 15. If you don't have a Bible that you can't turn to, I'm sure you have a neck and you can turn it to the screen. Okay. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 15 says this, watch over each other to make sure that no one, that no one, that no one, that no one, did you catch that? That no one misses the revelation of God's grace and make sure no one lives with a root of bitterness sprouting within them, which will only cause trouble and poison the heart's of many. Watch over each other, make sure no one misses the revelation of God's grace. Hey, if you are taking notes this morning, I'm going to preach a message that I'm calling Step Onto the Dance Floor. Step on to the dance floor. And I'm praying by the end of this message, not only does that title make a little bit more sense, but I'm really praying um, that by the end of this, man, I pray that the love, the grace, the power, the person of Jesus becomes ever so real to you, like it's become so real to me and so many other people in here. And I'm praying that God would do exceedingly, abundantly, like I said, and here's what I'm really praying for. I'm praying that God would take you from glory to glory, strength to strength, and grace to grace. How many of you know there's always something new, there's always something fresh, there's always something deeper in who he is? And I'm praying that God uses this little Texas boy to help you see him a little bit clearer this morning. Can we pray and ask that God would come and do what only he can do in these next couple moments? Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you. Lord, we stop and just take a moment. Lord, just to shift our focus, shift our attention, shift our honor to you, Lord. We know that it is because of you, Lord. I thank you that, that we would not be where we are today. We wouldn't even, this church wouldn't exist. This moment wouldn't be happening. If it, if it weren't for your heart radically pursuing us this morning, Lord, I thank you that this was your initiative, this was your prerogative, this was your idea. And Lord, I thank you that you would just sweep us away right now. Lord, that you would even, that Lord, by the end of this, you'd have said things I didn't even know you were gonna say. And Lord, I pray that you would do it in a unique and succinct, clear way this morning. I thank you that this is a tailor-made, a tailor-made word for, for the hearts in here today. And I thank you for it right now. It's in the mighty name of Jesus that I pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. Well, hey, I got a question for you. Have you ever, have you ever been looking for something and the thing you were looking for was like right in front of you, but you were like completely oblivious to it? Has that ever happened to you or am I, am I alone? Is that a Texas thing? Okay. Um, I have, this happens to me all the time. Like I've been married for six months. My wife will regularly say, hey, Kenan, there is this, there is a basket in our laundry room. I need you to go grab that basket and bring it back to me. Okay. 15 minutes later, I come back to the living room like, babe, it disappeared. Okay. The Lord caused the earth to open up and swallow it whole. I don't know what happened. Okay. And she's like, Kenan, it's, I swear it's in there. I'm like, babe, it ain't in there. She goes in there. It's sitting right where she said it was. Okay. I'm like, babe. And this is turns into the most aggravating thing for her, which turns into the most aggravating thing for me. Okay. This happens 
a lot, all right? But I remember one moment, it was about 13 years ago, um, and uh, this happened to me, and it, it actually cost me quite a bit, okay? It cost me quite a bit. And about this moment, um, I, was at, I was 13 years old. I'm about to be 26, 13 years ago. That means I was 13, okay? And so I was, I was 13 years old. I remember in this moment, I was in the worst place on earth, okay? I was literally in hell on earth, okay? I was in Odessa, Texas at Music City Mall, okay? You need to understand right now, Cody's laughing. You know Cody and I are both from San Angelo, by the way. Hey, come on. San Angelo blood run thick. But Cody's laughing because he knows, okay? This is the worst mall on the planet, okay? So, but I'm in the hell on earth, Music City Mall, but you have to understand, I was doing the absolute best thing you can do if you were to find yourself in hell on earth, Music City Mall, and that was, I was leaving Music City Mall, okay? I was really walking out. I walked in, I was like, the devil's in this place, and I started leaving, right? So I'm sitting there, and I'm with my family, and I remember in this moment, I'm leaving the mall, and I was in a, I was in a conversation with my mom, okay? And this conversation was not a normal conversation. This is what my dad would call a uh, robust conversation, okay? An argument, all right? I'm sitting there walking with my mom and I'm arguing with my mother, you know, much less spiritually mature than I am today standing in front of you, okay? The Lord has delivered me, okay? So I'm sitting there, I'm arguing with my mom and I remember in this moment, I am fighting for my life, okay? I'm fighting tooth and nail. I'm fighting against social injustice. She was trying to do me wrong. And I remember we're sitting there in the mall, walking out of the mall, and I'm in an argument with my mom over the fact that I should be allowed to buy skinny jeans. I should be allowed to buy some skinny jeans. I'm sitting there looking at my mom, I'm like, mom. I'm like, mom, I'm 13. I'm like, mom. Anyone who is anyone wears skinny jeans. Okay, mom, there's this group. There's three guys. They're called the Jonas Brothers. They wear skinny jeans, okay? There's this little dude. He just came on the scene. His name's Justin Bieber, okay? And he's wearing some skinny purple jeans, okay? I'm like, mom, they don't got to be purple, but they got to be skinny, okay? I'm like, please, for the love of God, okay? And she looked at me, and she said, Kenan, as long as I am buying your clothes, you will not be wearing no skinny jeans. And I hate to break it to you. You know you gotta hate that when the mom breaks that up. I hate to break it to you. But by the time you're old enough to buy your own clothes, skinny jeans aren't even gonna be in style. Okay, I stand here today proving that prophecy false, folks. Okay, the favor of God has been all my life from a young age. I'm kidding, I'm playing. But I'm sitting there, we're duking it out. She's putting me in my place and I'm not having it. And we're walking out of the mall. I remember I, uh, we walked out of the mall and I, as I'm walking out, I look down, I'm in this, I'm giving my mom my rebuttal and I look down to the ground and I saw a piece of paper laying on the ground. But you have to understand, I'm in the fight of my life, right? Like this is everything to me. So I, I kind of just dismiss the paper and, and focusing on my mom. And all of a sudden I get a few paces outside of the mall. And all of a sudden my younger sister, Brooklyn, who was trailing right behind me, starts going bananas. Okay. She starts losing her mind. All of a sudden Brooklyn goes, oh my God. And of course we turn around, it stops our argument. We, we, we think she's might, she might be dying, we don't know, okay? And so we, we turn around and Brooklyn's sitting there holding the paper, I had just stepped over and she says, I just found a hundred dollars laying on the ground. And I remember sitting there thinking, man, I cannot win 
today, okay? And I walked to the car with no skinny jeans and not a cent to my name, okay? Times haven't changed. I just now have skinny jeans, okay? So I remember I walked to the car and I got in the car. I remember I was sitting there and we're in the car and I'm thinking through all these things on the way home. And I thought to myself, I was like, man, if I could just, if I could just jump in a DeLorean, I would ram that baby up to 88 miles an hour and I would go back 10 minutes 10 minutes in time, and I would grab myself and say, Keenan, forget the skinny jeans, pick up the paper. Keenan, forget, forget this peripheral stuff, forget this nagging stuff, forget this non-essential stuff, and actually recognize the value in what's been placed right in front of you. And I'm here to tell you this morning, my friends, that is exactly what the writer of Hebrews is talking about in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. The writer of Hebrews is saying something pretty clear. He's saying we cannot allow one person to go through life stepping over the most valuable thing on the planet, the grace of God. We've got to do everything. We've got to go to the highways and the byways to convince them to come in, not because venue's hot, but because the love of God is so freaking good. Come on, we can't allow one person, we cannot allow one person to miss out on the most valuable thing on the planet, the grace of God. It's the revelation of God's grace. It's not just a head knowledge about the grace of God, it's an experiential encounter. When all of a sudden you have that watershed moment, the scales fall off your eyes and you realize that you're the one. You're the one he left the 99 for. You matter that much to him. It's that moment. We don't want to just give you head knowledge. We want to give you an experience. And God says, I want you to experience. I want you to experience my grace. So the writer of Hebrews is saying this. The most valuable thing on the planet is the grace, is the grace of God. Now, if, listen to me. If the grace of God is supposed to be everything, if the grace of God is the most valuable thing on the planet, I think we need to ask ourselves the all-important question then, what is grace? What is grace? If grace is the most valuable thing, if grace is supreme, it is prime, it is pinnacle, if it is paramount on planet Earth, then I think we need to ask ourselves, what then is grace? And real quickly, I think we need to let Scripture define for us what grace is. And there are so many passages I could take you to, but one of the clearest, most finest, most succinct definitions, I think, of the grace of God is found right here in Romans chapter five, verse eight. Romans five, verse eight. I'm gonna read out the Passion Translation. It says this, but Christ proved God's, listen to that, God's passionate love for us by dying in our place. But Christ proved God's it's God's love for us by dying in our place. And when did he do this? While we were still lost and ungodly. Not when we had begun to make the journey on home and our decisions had began to change. God says, I'll now round the rest out. No, when we were completely lost and completely ungodly, God completely loved you. I'm here to tell you the grace of God is the fact that God loved you way before you ever loved him. Come on, I came here to tell somebody before you ever loved God, when you didn't want God, when you had turned your back on God, the grace of God took off in a full sprint took off in a full sprint towards you. You know, a lot of us, a lot of us tend to think that a relationship with God is all about us chasing God down, us just trying to get God to notice us. And I'm here to tell you this morning, if you are still stuck in that religious
grace, I'd like to encourage you to take a peek over your right shoulder because you will find that the grace of God has been hot on your tail this entire time. I'm here to tell you, grace is not your sad, sick attempt to come Grace is God's perfect attempt to work his way to you. I don't know about you, but I'm so grateful that the big man upstairs came downstairs so he could find me and love me and lead me back into the life he created me to live. Come on, the grace, the grace of God. It's the most valuable thing. It's the most valuable thing on the planet. It's, listen to me, it's God, it's God coming to you. Some of you thought it's time for me to come to God. No, no, listen to me. The only reason you even know to respond to this is because he's been calling your name. He's been calling your name long before you ever called his. Listen to me. Grace is, listen to this. Grace is proof that you are not better at sinning than God is at forgiving. Grace is proof that you are not better at doing the wrong thing than God is at doing the loving thing. Grace is proof that you are not better at being bad than God is at being good. And that is why the most valuable thing we have as human beings is the revelation of God's grace. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, make sure nobody misses. Make sure nobody just steps over. Make sure no one lives ignorant of the grace that has been laid right at their feet. Right at their feet. But I want you to notice something. The writer of Hebrews dials in who he's talking to. He doesn't just say, hey, make sure the world knows about the grace of God, because that's kind of implied. Jesus gave us the great commission. He said, go into the world and preach the gospel. What's the gospel? It's the gospel of grace. It's the good news that you didn't come to God. God came to you, okay? That's implied. We're supposed to do that. We know that, but the writer of Hebrews says this. Can we throw um, Hebrews chapter 12, 15 back up? He says this. He says, watch over each other. Watch over each other. Who is he talking to? Who is this letter to? It's to Christians. It's to believers, or can I say it like this? It's to people who have already experienced the grace of God. And he's saying, hey, make sure no one who has already experienced the grace of God checks out and begins to step over the grace of God. Because I found this, I found it to be true. I found it to be true. It's those of us, it's those of us who have been in church the longest that tend to live the blindest to the grace of God. Yes. It's those of us who have been in here in the system, in the organization, the longest, yes. who tend to become calloused to the grace of God. We have that watershed moment like I talk about, the scales fell off of our eyes. We saw the grace of God for what it was and we went from, oh my God, the grace of God to, oh yeah, I've got the grace of God. Yeah, I know, I, I, Grace, Grace, I know that. Some of you, I, I mean, I'm not trying to come for you, but as soon as you found out I was talking about Grace this morning, you went, seriously? Another Grace message? And the writer of Hebrews is coming right for you. He's saying, watch over each other. Watch over each other. Make sure nobody's sucking oxygen, not just outside the church, but in the church. Misses and lives ignorant of, in the church, that make sure nobody lives ignorant of the grace of God. And here's, I want you to notice this. The writer of Hebrews tells us what'll happen if you begin to step over the grace of God. If you begin to live ignorant, if you begin to just kind of treat haphazardly, or as Galatians chapter two says, if you set aside the grace of God, he tells us what'll happen. He says this, he says, make sure nobody steps over the, or misses out on the grace of God. And then he says this, and make sure nobody lives with a root of bitterness. 
sprouting in their heart, which will only cause trouble and poison the hearts of many. Now, if you've been in church for a long time, you're probably familiar with this term, root of bitterness, okay? And usually we pull it out in the church when we find somebody who's obviously mean. Somebody who's obviously got baggage. Somebody who's obviously bitter, okay? And something inside of our early church days goes, ooh, I know what that is. I perceive that thou hast the root of bitterness. All right, where are we going? You know what I mean? We, we kind of move on. But I'm here to tell you, that may be, that person may be bitter, and there may be roots to their bitterness, but that actually is not what the root of bitterness is here in Hebrews chapter 12. What the root of bitterness is here in Hebrews chapter 12 is actually, it's actually a word picture. And the word picture is quite simple. It's actually, it's a, it's a toxic bile that the liver secretes. That's what this is. It's the root of bitterness is a toxic bile that the liver secretes. It's literally a word picture. It's, a, it's an image to kind of give you an idea of what this root of bitterness looks like. What is the root of bitterness? It's a toxic leak. It's a toxic leak. And what is it infecting? It's infecting your relationship with God. It's infecting your view. It's infecting your view of God. So what are we now susceptible to when we begin to step over the grace of God? We are now susceptible to a toxic leak in our relationship with God. Why? Because the only thing that gives us firm foundation and a clear picture and image to see God through is the grace of God. So when we step over the grace of God, it's no wonder the enemy begins to come up to your security and begin to go until finally sprung a leak. He sprung a leak. We're susceptible to a toxic leak. We're susceptible to the chitter chatter. We're susceptible to ideas and, and arguments that try to set themselves up against the knowledge of God. We're susceptible to the lies of the enemy. And real quickly for the last, the, the last couple minutes that we're, gonna, that we're gonna share, I really think that there's one thing in particular that tries to come in and create a root of bitterness, that tries to come in and, and create a toxic leak when we step over the grace of God. And I think each and every single one of us are familiar with this. And this one word is condemnation. Condemnation. I think there's lots of things that could try to form a root of bitterness. Sometimes it's, it's insecurity. Sometimes it's pride begins to form a root of bitterness. When you step over the grace of God, you step into pride because you forget where you came from. That yes, every, every sinner has a future, but every saint has a past. Okay, and you forget where the grace of God found you and all of a sudden you step into pride and you found a root of bitterness. But I think, I think even bigger than pride, the root of bitterness that the toxic leak that wants to come and creep into us all is the root of condemnation. Condemnation, if you're not familiar, if you're not familiar with that word, I can promise you this, you are definitely familiar with the feeling. Condemnation is that little voice in your head and in your heart that constantly accuses you. It constantly accuses you, constantly puts you down, constantly condemns you, constantly tells you you're nothing more than a sad sack of crap that God just kind of can't wait to toss into the lake of fire, that he just tolerates you, he just kind of puts up with you, and he's really looking forward to the day he can give you what you deserve. Condemnation tells you you're lesser than the grace of God proved you are. Condemnation is coming to creep in and begin to create a toxic leak, a toxic worldview, a toxic image of who God is. A lot of the time, our condemnation tries to tell us that God is far off, He is distant, He is austere. 
listen to me, he's disinterested. He's too dignified to have anything to do with the likes of you. And the grace of God proves all of that to be a load. The grace of God proves that he is not far off. He is not disinterested. He's not too dignified to have anything to do with the likes of you. But condemnation will begin to come in and begin to whisper things into your heart and soul that are trying to create toxicity in your relationship with God. And if you are dealing, listen to me, if you're dealing with condemnation this morning, because the truth is we all deal with it. I deal with it, pastor deals with it. Every person, no matter how spiritually astute they are, we all deal with condemnation. That liar is no respecter of person, you understand that. And the only way you can empower a liar is to believe their lie. That's the only way they find power is when the lie is believed. But every single one of us, listen to me, are subject and will be subject to that little accusing voice. And if you're dealing with that, I want to read you a scripture that absolutely liberated me when it came to the, the, the condemnation, when it came to that voice of accusation in my life. And I'm calling this passage of scripture the ammunition for condemnation. The ammunition for condemnation. It's found right here, and it's Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Romans 8, 1. I'm reading it out of the Passion Translation. It says this, so now the case is closed. There remains no accusing voice of condemnation against those who are joined in life union with Jesus, the anointed one. There remains no accusing voice for those who are joined in life union with Jesus. Now we have to ask ourselves, what is life union with Jesus? Now I'm here to tell you that's just poetic and fancy language for relationship. Relationship. The fact that God came to you when you couldn't come to him. If you have put your faith in that, not in your own merit, not in your own diligence, not in your own ability to get all your spiritual ducks in a row, but if you have put your faith in the fact that God found you when you didn't want to be found, then you now have a license, listen to me, you now have a license, you now carry the authority to never experience that little accusing voice ever again. You now have the license to never experience the voice again. Why? Because grace closed the case. The fact that God came to you when you couldn't come to him, that God, while we were still sinners, he died in our place. He took the punishment for my sin. Now I never, listen to me, I never have to experience or tolerate that little accusing voice ever again. But listen to me, when we begin to step over the grace of God, we begin to all of a sudden, those lies that the enemy throws at us, they begin to feel, they begin to feel more palatable. They begin to feel a little bit more true. And I want to read this passage to you. It's found here in John chapter 8, verse 44. If we could throw it up, John 8, 44. It says this, he, the devil, never stood with the truth, for he is full of nothing but lies. Listen to this. Lying is his native tongue. What does that mean? It means the only language the devil knows how to speak is the language of lie. The only language the devil knows how to speak is the language of lies. You can bet your bottom dollar when the devil comes chatting in your ear, he is speaking to you in the only language he knows how to talk, and it's the language of lie. And I'm here to tell you, when we refuse to step over the grace of God, we don't step over it, but we step in to the grace of God. All of a sudden, we now have the ammunition for the condemnation that begins to come our way. Why? Because grace closed the case. Grace closed that case a long time ago. Are you familiar with the, 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 the term double jeopardy? 
Double jeopardy. For those of you who aren't familiar, here in the American judicial system, we have this thing called double jeopardy. And double jeopardy, simply put, is this. In in layman's terms, in the most simple way I can put it, it's that a person cannot be tried for this or punished for the same charges or crime twice. That a person cannot be tried or punished for the same charges twice. What that means is once you've already been acquitted, once your case has already been dismissed or closed, no voice can come in and begin to try to open that case again. And I'm here to tell you this morning, God already punished Jesus for your sin. He's not going to punish your sin twice. He's not going to punish your sin twice. And that's why we got to stand on the grace of God. Because the grace of God closed the case. Woo! The condition here is that are you in life union with Jesus? Am I paying attention? Am I standing in or am I stepping over the fact that God came to me? That is what changes the difference between condemnation having weight and condemnation being dismissed. And when all of a sudden that little liar comes to you and he begins to accuse you, he begins to tell you you're nothing, that God will never love the likes of you, that God wants nothing to do with you, that this whole purpose behind your post, a, a pulse thing is a load. All of a sudden you now have the ammunition. You say, no, no, as far as I'm concerned, that case is closed. The case is closed. Or as Jesus put it hanging on the cross, he said, it is finished. It's done. There's nothing you, woo, come on. The grace of God, it closed the case. And you now have permission to not stand in your own merit, not stand in your own diligence, your discipline, your devotion, your focus. You now have the opportunity to not step over, but stand in the grace of God. Stand in the grace of God. But yet so many of us, yet so many of us still outside the church and in the church, we find ourselves stepping over. I find myself, find myself stepping over the grace of God. And that ammunition, that the condemnation begins to come, begins to poke, and my security begins to poke, and my foundation until finally sprung a leak. And real quickly, as we begin to wind down, I'm gonna, this is where I'm going to begin to land the plane. But there's a story found in Luke chapter 15. And where I'm going to go, a lot of you listen to me. I want to give you this caveat right off the bat because a lot of you are going to be completely familiar with the story. But listen to me. I want us to all have an invitation to, to go to this story as if it were the first time, for, for, the, for, for the first time. I want us to all have a, have a fresh set of eyes looking at the story. Because listen to me, familiarity will rob you of what God's trying to give you. That's kind of what we're talking about. You've gotten too familiar with the grace of God. The novocaine of familiarity has made you numb. And all of a sudden, when we begin to look with fresh eyes and say, God, what do you have for me? Listen to me, because a lot of you are gonna think you know where I'm going, and listen to me, you do not. Because listen to me, I think the love of God might have something new to show you in the story. And in Luke, in Luke 15, if I could have somebody kind of begin to play and make me sound spiritual. Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells a story. He tells three stories, and the third story is this. He tells a story about, about a dad who has two sons. He's got an older son who's kind of a goody two-shoes. He's a, he's a good kid. He's a good all-American kid, if you will. He kind of shows up on time. He gets his stuff done. He minds his P's and his Q's. He does exactly what he needs to do. He lives by the letter of the law. But he doesn't just have that son. He's got a, he's got a younger son as well. And the younger son's not like his older brother. This apple fell way far away from the tree. 
And the younger son, he's got, he's got something to prove. He's got a bit of an angst. He's got a rage, if you will. He's constantly going against his dad, constantly kind of going against the grain, constantly having a differing opinion. He's a contrarian by nature. So all of a sudden, the, Jesus tells the story that one day the youngest boy, this angsty boy, this boy full of rage, comes up to his dad and he says, Dad, um, give me my inheritance. Now you have to understand, you and I, that may not be that big of a deal, but in Jesus's day, every person who heard him say that, their jaw hit the floor. Because you have to understand this, an inheritance was not something you were given until your dad had died. So what this young man is literally saying to his dad's face, he said, I wish you were dead. You're just as good as dead to me. In fact, sadly, by the, by the assessment of your exterior, you have too many miles left in the tank and I'm not willing to wait around for them to expire. So what I'd really like is for you to give me my money so I can begin to live this life I'm called to live. And miraculously, Jesus tells the story that the dad gives him the inheritance. So all of a sudden, the boy takes the money and the Bible says he goes to a away place. He goes off to a, a big city and he begins to live prodigally. This story is called the prodigal son. That word prodigal, it literally means wasteful means wasteful. It means he's just throwing his money at whatever feels good, whatever bring him another cheap thrill and another hit of dopamine, whatever give him another release of serotonin, whatever will just be another little happy-go-lucky time. That's what his money is being thrown at. Until finally Jesus tells a story that the son runs out of money. All of a sudden, the sun runs out of money. And literally in that moment, listen to me, in that moment, the economy crashes. It's literally bad for everyone. So all of a sudden, the sun's got to do what every young, irresponsible young man hates to do. He's now got to go find a J-O-B. He's got to go find a job. So he begins to go find a job. And the one job this young man can find is a job slopping pigs, feeding pigs. And you have to understand this. This is a Jewish boy. Pigs are unclean animals. So now he's not just turned his back on his family by accepting this job. He's now turned his back on God. He's now turned his back, listen to me, on everything he knows. So all of a sudden he begins to go and he's slopping these pigs day after day. But in the contract, there was some fine print that said he wasn't even allowed to eat the pig's food. And he gets to such a point of starvation that he looks down at the pig slop and thinks, man, that looks pretty good. And listen to me, my friends, this is where condemnation, this is where the accusation, this is where the enemy wants to drag you kicking and screaming until finally after compromise, after compromise, after compromise, you're looking at something you would have never looked at before. Oh, you don't even understand the rationale. You don't even understand why you're doing the things you're doing. People are asking you, what's this about? You're like, I, I don't even know. All of a sudden, you don't know why you're letting them treat your body this way. You don't know why you keep putting that in your system. You don't know why you keep buying the things you're buying. I, 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 I don't know. That's where the lie of the enemy wants to take you till you don't even know you anymore. You can't even give a rationale for why you're doing the things you're doing. So all of a sudden, he begins to go down and grab some of this pig slop. And all of a sudden, the Bible says this, that he comes to his senses. And listen to me, I'm praying that that's what happens for some people in here this morning. I'm praying that you start to wake up to who the heck you actually are. That you are the head and not the tail. That you're above, never beneath. You're the lender, not the borrower. You're the victor, not the victim. I'm praying that's what happens this morning. That you have that moment where you come to your senses. You quit living a bottom of the gutter life. 
You quit being satisfied with being a second-rate citizen in the kingdom. You're not a second-rate citizen. God's not going to give you hand-me-downs. He doesn't know the meaning of the word budget. God's got more than enough for you. More than enough for you. Gosh. So he sits there. He comes to his senses. He thinks to himself, this is literally the process. He thinks to himself, man, my dad's servants have it better than this. Here's what I'll do. I'll go back home and I won't just be a sorry son. I'll be a slaving servant. I won't just be a sorry son. I'll be, I'll be militant. I'll be a slaving servant. I'll just go to work for dad. It'll be better than pig slop. So he thinks this is a good idea. So he goes and he quits his job and he begins to go down the, down the road. And all of a sudden, the Bible says that as the sun begins to come over the property line, the dad's on the front porch and the dad sees the silhouette of his son coming over the edge of the property. Now I wanna call your attention to this. What kind of picture does this paint for you? That the dad's life has looked like since the son left home. It tells me that day after day, the dad has stared at the edge of the property, just waiting to see that silhouette. He sees him, the Bible said, while he was still a long way off, the dad saw him and all of a sudden, listen to me, the dad literally jumps out of his rocking chair, probably spills his lemonade all over the porch and begins to run after his son. Now listen to me, in Jewish culture, men did not run. This was unheard of. Men never ran because if you ran, that meant you weren't in charge of your schedule and that meant you were a hired hand. You were a low level person in society and it meant you were undignified. What does it mean that this man ran to his son? He said he lost his dignity. He's saying, I don't care how stupid I look. I don't care what people think of this. I've got to get to you. This man ran to his son. And the Bible says this, he gets to the son and he jumps and he puts his arm around the son, tries to get the speech out and the dad literally essentially says, shut up. And the dad just grabs him and he begins to yell back at the house, hey, grab a robe, grab a ring, grab some sandals, call the DJ, kill the calf. We're gonna have a dance party. We're about to have a dance. This is, listen to me, this is literally the dad's response to the son coming home, smelling and looking like sin and debauchery is I'm gonna throw you a dance party. And all of a sudden they exit, they exit the scene. And what maybe an hour later, we find this passage right here, Luke chapter 15, verse 25. This is where the older son begins to creep back into the story. He says this, now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard the sound of music and dancing. So this tells me that as this older boy is approaching the house, people are on the dance floor. Like the party's already started. People are literally getting down at this party. And so all of a sudden the older son hears this and this is what happens. All of a sudden he asks the servant, he says, hey, hey, what's all the noise about? What's the commotion? And the servant says, oh, you don't know? He says, your, your, your brother came home and your dad threw him a party. And all of a sudden you see in the scriptures, this older brother comes alive. All of a sudden he is irate. He is indignant. He is mad. He has so much disdain. And he literally goes, oh my God. And then all of a sudden he begins to yell and curse until he is literally, listen to me, he's literally making such a scene that the dad hears him inside the party and comes outside. Now I wanna call your attention to this. The father left the porch to go to the younger son but the father also left the party to go to the older son. Notice the heart of God. It's always for those who are on the outside. 
whether you feel worthless or you feel like maybe you're too good. The heart of God is always for you. Listen to me, the cross is the great equalizer. There is not a one of us worse off or a one of us better off. We all need Jesus. We all need grace. There's not a one of us that can afford to miss out on the most valuable thing on the planet, the grace of God. And so all of a sudden, this is, this is literally where I want to go with this, the sun. The sun's outside and I can see him. He's sitting there outside. The dad's walking up and he's just probably pacing. He's just sitting there muttering things. You know how you do when you're mad. You're not even making intelligible sentences. He's just just sitting there getting angry and spitting and and getting red in the face. And all of a sudden the dad says, son, what's going on? Why are you screaming? And the son just looks at his dad and says, dad, all this time I've been slaving for you. I've been slaving away, working tirelessly for you, and you've never even given me one goat. You've never even given me one thing that I could go and celebrate with my friends. But all of a sudden, this son of yours, he didn't even call him his brother, he says, this son of yours comes home and you slaughter the fatted calf and you throw a dance party. He says, you should be ashamed of yourself. And he says, don't you remember what that boy did? Let me, let me tell you, let me remind you what that boy did. He looked you dead in the eye. He spat in your face. He wished you dead. And then he took your money. You remember all that honest living that you had spent your whole life saving up? He went and took that money and he squandered it on prostitutes, dad. That's what he did. Turn up your hearing aid. I don't know if you heard me, but it was prostitutes. All of a sudden, the sun's going all the way up. He's like, literally, this is, this is, you're rewarding bad behavior. You're the worst father I've ever heard of. All of a sudden, the dad just sits there and he takes it. The dad just sits there and takes it. Listen to me, God's not too big for your anger. He's not too big for your confusion. He's not too big for your questions. Dad sits there and he takes the venom. And the dad looks at the son and he says, son, all that I have is yours. You're always with me, but listen, this brother of yours, the son had called him the son of yours and the dad all of a sudden, no, 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 no. This brother of yours was once dead and now he's alive. He says this, we had to celebrate. And literally, literally the story ends there. Jesus ends the story. We have no idea whatever came after that moment. But listen, I was reading over this story and there's so many good things in the story and I pray you caught them. But we're talking about this idea of condemnation. We're talking about this idea of accusation. Talking about this idea of the enemy throwing your past or people throwing your past in your face. I remember I was just, just a little while ago, I was reading over this story and I got to this portion and I just, I literally asked God, I said, God, show me something in here I haven't seen yet. And I literally got to this portion and the Lord asked me in this moment with the oldest brother and the dad, he said, Where's the younger son? In this entire situation, where is the younger son? The entire time this older brother is, what is he doing? He's spewing accusation. He's spewing condemnation. He won't let go of where his younger brother used to be. He's throwing his past in his face. And this entire time this older brother is doing this, the Lord just asked me, where is the younger brother? He's on the dance floor. 
He's literally in the middle of the dance floor, dancing in what his father had given him. I'm here to tell you this morning, when you know how, when you know how God feels about you, when you know the grace of God, you can dance over what other people say about you, over what the enemy says about you, over the accusation, over the condemnation, over the language of lie. Why? Because you know the love of God came to me when I didn't want it, when I squandered it all, when I wasted it all. The love of God looked at me and said, I'm throwing a party for you. And come hell or high water, there is nothing. There is nothing that will stop God from giving you what God wants to give you. He's God. He's God. Jesus literally ends the story there and listen to me. We have no idea if the older brother ever changed his mind about the younger brother. But listen to me, what we do know is the father never changed his mind. All the accusation, all the condemnation, it didn't make him move for a second. And I really, listened to me, even just while I was in the green room, I felt this. That younger boy just stood in what the father had given him. And some of you need to stand in what God has given you and let God leave the party to go fight your battles. Let God leave the party to go fight your battles. You don't gotta go and justify yourself. You don't gotta go and speak a better word. You don't need to find language or a new narrative. You just need to stand on the narrative that stood the test of time, the fact that God came to you when you couldn't come to him and just begin to dance, just begin to praise, just begin to thank him. I'm telling you, this works. I'm not giving you something I'm not using. I've gotten high on my own supply. This stuff works. This stuff works, man. I'm telling you, there's some of you, I know some of you, you're going through some stuff. There's condemnation. Listen to me. There's accusation. There's accusation going on right now. And I feel the spirit of God saying, dance. Dance like it's done. Dance like it's done. Pastor, dance like it's done. I stand with you. The grace of God stands with you. I love you. This church, these people, we're for you. I'm telling you, that's a word for everybody in here. That the grace of God, your relationship with God, it's not meant to be ritualistic, mundane, and religious. It's meant to be rhythmic and a dance. It's meant to be a dance. God isn't inviting you into something mundane and just something you have to do. Man, my relationship with God is the most exciting thing in my life. We were talking yesterday. I said, man, if I never get an opportunity to stand on a stage and share the love of Jesus again, I'm totally okay. Because I don't need all of you to clap for me because I know what Jesus did for me. That's enough for me to dance about the rest of my life. And I'm telling you, when you get to that place, when you let God come in and begin to patch the toxic leaks that the enemy has been poking and creating, I'm telling you, that's what grace comes to do. It comes to your weakness. It comes to your leak. And I'm telling you, I feel the love of God saying, I came to fix your leak today. I came to fix your leak today. Some of you in here, you walked in here not knowing you had a leak, but the Lord has revealed to you in this moment he sprung a leak and it's toxic. And if it don't, goes unchecked, if you keep stepping over my grace, instead of stepping into my grace, step onto the dance floor. Come on, some of us are waiting on the sideline till the enemy shuts up for us to be able to dance in what God gave us. And the Lord says, no, no. <sighs> I give you a table in the presence of your enemies. I don't wait for your enemy 